So we have been in a series on discipleship. And in, a, in this series, we've looked at how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus make disciples? And then how did Jesus tell others to make disciples? And we've kind of broke it down to some simple terms. Following. It starts with following. We follow Jesus. We follow him. And in following him and never ceasing to follow him, that makes us disciples of God. But there's got to be that continuous act of following. Now, I'm not talking about always being on our A game. Hear me. I'm talking about the, the hunger of our heart to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And when I stumble, I'm going to get up. And when I'm weary, I'm going to cling to him, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to look for what he says, and I'm going to do it. So that's being a disciple. And then making disciples. One of the things that I talked about was vital in making disciples was hunger. Hunger. You guys, there's nothing, and, and just so you guys know, this is good to preface this. I have nobody in mind when I say this. None of you do I have in mind when I'm about to say when I say what I'm about to say, okay? So if you're like, he's talking about me. I am not. Nothing's more exhausting than trying to make a disciple of someone who doesn't want to be disciples. Of someone who doesn't want to be disciples. Because discipleship, as we've covered in this series, man, there's, there's some things to it that require work and effort and sacrifice and obedience and things that maybe, you know, it, throughout the, the journey of people's lives kind of seeking the Lord, they're not quite ready for at certain moments. But making a disciple of someone who's hungry and passionate for the Lord and wants to follow, who couldn't be stopped from following. Man, that's, that's incredible. So that's when we talk about discipleship. That's what we're talking about. And today I'm talking about supervision. Supervision is a vital part of discipleship. And as I get up and preach, I just want to be vulnerable with you guys. This isn't something that we've always been great at, nor is it something that that I personally have, have been great at in discipleship. So this brings so much liberty to me. This brings so much freedom to me to see how Jesus says to do it so I can go, I can do that, Lord. I can do that. But as we go out through this series, it's not a, there's not a grade card to see are we are we checking off every box and are we passing with you know with a good grade you know so we get our gold foil star you know with every topic you know that's not the case because there's things that we might be falling short on and so that's why we get reminded of Jesus says do it this way and we go okay yeah I haven't been doing it that way that's so good I'm going to do it that way supervision so there's there's a church plant model um called the parachute drop. And the parachute drop of the church plant model, um, it basically is a church takes up an offering and prays over you and then says, jump. Or says, jump. Um, and and, and you, you go out, you know, you, you jump out of the plane and you are on your own, baby. You pull the cord. There's a parachute there. There's a parachute there. There is a parachute in this model. And, and you, pull, you pull the cord and you're on your own. You land where you land. You journey where you journey. You're on your own. And this actually, Impact Rock, was formed out of a parachute drop model. 
because our, our the church that we were a part of had never planted a church before and had had it was a small church with small staff and no experience. And, and it wasn't ill intended, it was just we don't know what to do. We acknowledge that you're called to, to plant this church, Harpers, so go do it. I want to say this is perhaps the most difficult model to follow for the very reason that it lacks supervision. It lacks sharpening. It lacks follow-up, and it lacks instruction, and it lacks correction, and growth comes harder, both personally and numerically. Growth comes harder. Friends, growth comes harder when we don't have correction in our lives. Growth comes harder when we don't have a form of godly, loving supervision in our lives. Growth comes harder when there's not follow-up. This is one of those areas I'm so excited about for this church to disciple in this way because it brings liberty. And supervision is absolutely essential in Jesus' discipleship program. Supervision. Not micromanaging. Supervision. Not an untrusting hand-holding. Supervision that says, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Because, you know, we'll we'll see correction in those. Good correction. Correction's good, you guys. Sometimes when we talk about correction, we see it the wrong way. And I use this example all the time, but if I think that 2 plus 3 is 9, I want correction. I want correction. I don't want to stand up and say 2 plus 3 is 9, and, and you guys awkwardly look back and you're like, oh, he's so ignorant. God bless him. He's trying. But 2 plus 3 is not 9. 2 plus 3 is... You guys, there's minimal math. Man, there's minimal math in this, okay? I know you didn't come prepared. Five. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. Five. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be more math, just so we're clear. There'll be more math later on. Like addition. So correction's good. Supervision is good. So we see in Scripture, and we're going to spend a lot of time in, in Luke chapter 10. That's really where we're going to camp. But we'll be in the Gospels today, except for John. John doesn't get included. We'll be in, in Matthew, Mark, and, and mainly Luke. Jesus did not send his disciples out alone, but he sent them out in pairs. And when he sent out 12 disciples... That was six pairs. Okay, because two divided by 12 is six. So I lied. It's not just addition. There's apparently some division. Okay, it's my bad. That's on me. That's on me. Thank you for the correction. See what I did? Full circle. Jesus didn't send them out alone. And he doesn't send us out alone. And this is a good time to show that Jesus sends out his dynamic duos of disciples to be equipped with their own pairs of powerful packs as parts of their disciples. I'm not real good at alliteration, but you get it. There's eight things I'm going to highlight that Jesus sent them out with as part of their discipleship, as part of their ministry. When they were sent out two by two, this was part of of their discipleship. And, and Jesus required that there were eight combinations that they would learn and grow in and walk in that would equip them to be 
and to make good disciples. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. We'll cover the first two. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first two things we see that must be possessed or the two combinations, the two pairs. First combination is vision and compassion. Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. Friends, we'll never see the people if we're so consumed with self. We'll we'll never see the hurting needs if we're entirely focused on self. I'm not talking about, you know, we're supposed to be aware of our needs so we can run to the Lord for healing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being consumed, entirely consumed with self, so much so that we don't see someone sitting right next to us who's hurting. Jesus saw, and he had compassion. And the result of that was healing. The second thing, the second combo that we see is prayer and hunger. Prayer and hunger. Before they were sent, Jesus did this amazing thing and he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Because the harvest is plentiful and workers are few. So pray to the Lord of of the harvest. So it starts with prayer, but it can't end with prayer. There has to be hunger. Because he didn't say, pray and ask God to send you. He said, pray to the Lord to send workers. And at some point, friends, we have to own this and say, Lord, choose me. Lord, let me be one of the workers. Lord, I volunteer. Lord, I'm going. No one told me to do it. I'm, Lord, I'm following you. Prayer and hunger. Hunger is a vital part of discipleship. The very next verse, after Jesus gives us, you know, pray, you know, pray to the Lord of the harvest. In verse one of Matthew ten, it says, "And he called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction." Yet when we're hungry, when we're willing, when we're prayerful, when we're compassionate, when we have eyes to see, I promise you what's going to result is the call. The call. The call to do it. The call to go. Let's jump to Luke 9, and and we'll stay in Luke for, for a bit, so you can keep your finger in Luke 9 and 10. But I want to see the same account of this happening in Luke 9. Luke 9, 1 through 2. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We see in this that us 
as disciples being supervised by God, we need power and we need authority. And neither one of those can be self-generated. Neither one of those things can just come from, from within. Outside of the authority that Jesus has been given, and, and before Jesus ascended, he said, I've been given all authority. Outside of his authority, we have no authority. But here's the beautiful thing. What he's seeing here now is, I give you authority. I give you authority. I have all authority. And as long as you remain in me, I give you all authority. Go. And power. Not just authority, power. He both qualified them and authorized them. Power. It qualified them on the spot. Filled with power. Qualified to do his work. Not lacking any good thing. And then authorized. So I want to read those first two verses again. And I'm going to read through verse 6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The fourth set of things we need are the gospel and faith. And we see it from this passage. The gospel and faith. We go out preaching the gospel. We go out proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And faith. Faith. Why do I say faith? Because we're supposed to heal the sick. We are supposed to heal the brokenhearted in the name and the authority of Jesus, right? Not, not of our own strength. We have no strength outside of Jesus. In His authority, He says, Go heal. Notice he didn't say, go and pray over them. When we walk in authority, there's this confidence that says, I can heal the sick through Christ Jesus. So when I, when I pray for someone who's sick, I don't say, Lord Jesus, would you heal them? He goes, no, you heal them. So I say, sickness be gone in the name of Jesus. Sickness, you have no place. Heart, be whole and be healed right now in the name of Jesus. And we pray in the name of Jesus and we pray in the authority of Jesus. But we're called to this work. Verse 10, still in Luke 9. On their return, the disciples told him all they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So this fifth combo out of the eight is return and report. Return and report. It says right there in verse 1, he called them together, gave them authority, and he sent them out. That was in verse 2. He sent them out. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. 
They went out, and then they came back. And this is really where there's a big part of that supervision that's just vital. You're not the Lone Ranger. I'm not the Lone Ranger. We're not on our own. He doesn't just send us out and says, Good luck. Pull the cord. He sends us out, and then we come back and we report. Now, I want you to notice something here. When the 12 were sent out, there's nothing remarkable to report. When the 12 were sent out, there is nothing praiseworthy of note to report. Nothing that we get reference to. But this is still vital. So, tell me about it. What did you experience? What did you see? What worked? What didn't work? How can we grow? How can we learn? Here's my perspective on that. Return and report. We learn from the good. We learn from the bad. We learn from the ugly. We learn from our victories. We learn from our mistakes. But we've got to share these things. We're not just flying on our own. One thing I want to point out here is the time element. We don't know how long that first sending trip was. It could have been days. It could have been a week. It could have been weeks. From everything I've read, no one thinks it was longer than that. It, from, from what I've read of people more learned in Scripture than I am, you know, it's the assumption is that it's days that could be numbered even up to maybe a week, weeks, but not a long trip. But I do know this. If I'm walking around in an arid climate and I've just got one tunic, it, it don't take long to get stinky. It don't take long to get hungry. You know, that there's, and Jesus said, just bring one tunic, don't bring any money. You know, go and, and just trust me. So it, it could have been like a glorified fast. I, mean, I don't know how well they were fed. It doesn't make reference to that either. But it, there was a trust and there was a sacrifice involved. So let's read the same accounting, but from the Gospel of Mark. So Mark 6, 30-32 says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and all they had taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. I like this. Come away by yourselves. Okay, are you, are you seeing the wording there? Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. But I want you to see something there. here. Jesus was with them. Jesus was with them in the boat. Jesus went away with them. When they got back from that missionary trip, that, that ministry trip, rather, Jesus said, come away with me to rest. Come with me to a place of rest. Sometimes that's challenging. When we come back with reports of the awesome things God's doing, what we want to do is get right back out there yet. And he says, well, just come away with me for a second and rest. Sit with me for a while. Report to me what, what happened. Let's celebrate together. Let's grow. Let me grow you. And trust me, y'all, I'll be sending you back out soon. I'll be sending you back out soon. But just sit with me for a bit. Rest with me for a bit. Let's get away. Just us. And let's get away. Friends, that is vital. 
It's a vital part of discipleship. If we want to be used again and again and again, we've got to be wise enough to rest again and again and again. And if we're not taking a day of rest, we should be. Because it's a recipe for burnout. Just like being a lone ranger is a recipe for burnout in ministry, not resting is a recipe for burnout. Again, no mention is made of any miraculous or victorious or remarkable events taking place among those six teams of two. And this should encourage you and I. Because how many times in our faithful walking out of the Lord is there nothing remarkable that took place? Right? There's nothing remarkable or miraculous, but we, we are called to stay faithful. To stay faithful. So the sixth pair that we see, rest and repetition. Rest and repetition. This wasn't their only ministry trip. This was the first. But before we even see any mention of a second sending, we see mention of rest. After we rest, Jesus always sends us back out. Enjoy your rest. And I know I'm kind of driving this point home. Enjoy your rest. And here's the key. But when do I know when to stop resting? Well, we're following Jesus, right? So when the Spirit moves, we move, right? If the Spirit moves and we don't move because we're still resting, what are we doing? What are we not doing? We're not following, right? If we're in a place of rest and the Spirit of God moves and we don't follow, we're not following. I love that this isn't rocket science. Otherwise, I'd never be able to stand up here. But when he moves, we move with faith and with expectation. We say, I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. You say I'm ready. You're moving, so I'm ready. But what we can't do is just stay in that place of rest forever. It's no longer... If we stay in that place of rest forever, it's no longer rest. It's disobedience. And there's a lack of faith. God always puts us back in the game. And as long as we possess and walk in these things that he says are vital for discipleship, then there's a return to ministry. Rest and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rest and repeat. Be restored and repeat. And here's a a really cool thing. It's not just a few of us. It's not just six pairs of us. It's not just 12 of us that are called to his work. He enlarges. He enlarges. And, And we see here, just by reading a little bit further, now we see 36 pairs of two. 36 times two. 72. 72. So now we had six pairs. Now we've got 36 pairs. We've got 72 that are now sent out. See, I told you there was math. So Luke 10, verses 1 through 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Don't you love that? Don't you love that we get to be trailblazers for God? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going here. So go prepare the way. Into every place he was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Does this sound familiar? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. I love that the Lord is repetitive with us. Because a lot of times we're dense. 
In the same way, after the 72 went out, just so we can see a pattern here, after the 72 went out, he called them to return and report. So verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The 72 came back with the miraculous. The 72 came back with victory. The 72 came back with stories of God's goodness. But the 12 didn't. Friends, I promise you this. I promise you there were things to have been learned on that first pioneering mission they went on that they came back and said, hey, there's some things that if we, that next time we do it, we're going to do differently. There's some things we dropped the ball on. There's some things let's learn from, let's grow from. There's some things, Jesus, here's how we did it before. Can you correct us on the things that we, that we did wrong? I guarantee the 72 learned from some things from that first trip. I guarantee it. Why? Because growth is all throughout Scripture. Growth is all throughout Scripture. So they come back. Nothing miraculous to report. But they share. They talk. Jesus encourages and sharpens. And now 72 are sent out. And they come back with miraculous accounts. Look at this response of Jesus. I I can't believe I've missed this response for so many years. The magnitude of this response. I've seen the words. I just didn't have revelation on the response. I'll read it again from 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. His immediate response is, yes! We're going to be victorious. The world is going to be saved. The gospel is going to be spread. Satan knows that he has no chance. He knows he must bow his knee to my name. And he celebrates and goes, yes, he is defeated. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He is, he is pumped. He is fired up. The response to the, to the ministry trip and then coming back going, Jesus, the demons responded when we spoke in your name. And he's, hmm. Isn't that incredible? He's like, yes. And you know the disciples saw that response. And they're just fired up. Friends, we should be excited that when we walk in authority and power, things happen. The enemy is not greater than us. Not when we walk in the name of Jesus Christ and not when we walk in his authority. Then Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love in this. You guys, this is, this is a part of correction. I'm pumped up. I know you're pumped up. Clearly, I, Jesus, I'm fired up. Let's make sure we're celebrating the right thing. Celebrate the fact that your names are written in the book of life. Celebrate the fact that you have been saved and healed and set free and delivered. And be on guard against pride because a lot of exciting things are going to happen. I'm going to use you in really cool ways. Just stay on guard against pride. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you are mine. Rejoice in our relationship. 
Rejoice that I live within you. Rejoice that I never leave you. And I never, you know, you hear, I, I, obviously I'm kind of fleshing this out some. But in the midst of that return, there's correction. There's sharpening. There's encouragement. There's celebration. Friends, we should celebrate the victories. Someone gets saved, we celebrate that. Someone gets healed, we celebrate that. Someone gets set free, we celebrate that. When we get touched by the Lord, we celebrate that. The seventh pair, teachability and growth. Teachability and growth. Friends, the minute we become unteachable, we become unusable. The minute we stop learning from Jesus and stop being teachable, we're that He can sharpen us and teach us and grow us and correct us. We become really difficult to use because we walk out of the fullness of that authority and we start walking in some weird hybrid. And I don't want some weird hybrid of authority. I want it to be abundantly clear whose authority I walk in and whose authority you walk in and that's of Jesus Christ, not our own. And we got to be teachable. Correction, perspective, warning against pride, celebration. These are all essential. They're essential parts of being discipled and making disciples as our teachability and growth. So let's close by looking at the first part of the next verse. Verse 21. The very next thing. In that same hour... Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You guys, the next two things that we absolutely must possess are praise and thanks. Jesus' response to the return of the 72 was celebration and sharpening and then praise and thanks. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and then lifted his voice in thanks to the Father. In that same hour, hour. In that same hour, friends, let's not wait till Sunday. Let's not wait till Wednesday night. Let's not wait till the next time we we come together. Let's start rejoicing immediately. Let's start giving thanks immediately. Friends, this is vital in discipleship, and this is vital in making disciples. This is Jesus demonstrating this to us. We must possess vision and compassion, prayer and hunger, power and authority, the gospel and faith, return and report, rest and repetition, teachability and growth, praise and thanks. This isn't a test, guys. You're not going to be you're not going to be quizzed on that. This this is the kind of stuff that happens when we spend time with Jesus and we follow Him. Okay, this isn't you know. This is what happens when we follow Jesus. 
And when we grow to the point when he says, okay, I want to send you out now. This kind of reflects that transition of being a disciple and discipling. This is an amazing passage. Luke 9 and 10. Read it this week, you guys. It's this amazing shifting, the handing off of the baton. So they're still being discipled, but at this point we see them being sent out to make disciples. And in our lives, sometimes there's a lot going on when that transition takes place. But that transition has to take place, friends. Because we're called to make disciples. Not just be a disciple, but to make disciples. Let's celebrate Him. Let's be teachable. Supervision. That form of supervision, it takes many forms, you guys. It, it takes a, It's accountability among one with another. Sharing with a brother and a sister. It's the relationship that we have as your pastors. Part of that is that relationship. It's your small group, your life group leaders. It's the people who lead your studies. It's different ways that we that we share and we can be molded and taught. But above all, I think the, the greatest thing about supervision is you're not kicked out of a plane, you guys. You're not alone. We're not alone. We, we, we do this together, together. Not just together with Jesus, but together with one another. 